Hi, this is Trevor Jackson. Welcome to Tomorrow is Mine. Ben Fine grew up near the picturesque city of Heidelberg in Germany. Despite not being academically inclined at school, Ben obtained an economics degree while working for a large chemical company, rising through the corporate ranks where he had it all. A secure, well-paid job, a beautiful girlfriend, a nice apartment, you name it. But it wasn't enough. Ben was deeply unsatisfied with the demands of the 9-to-5 routine and everything that went with it. And with his 30th birthday approaching, he decided to give it all away to discover the world. It's said that life is a journey, not a destination. For Ben, the last seven years have been a transformation, exploring something like 50 countries as they opened up his mind to new cultures, new experiences and new opportunities that he could never have imagined in his former life. When COVID began to spread across the globe early in 2020, Ben was living on the Gold Coast, a city he regards as his second home. And with travel now off the agenda, Ben decided to further his formal education by gaining qualifications in fitness, followed by a diploma in mental health at TAFE Queensland. During this period, Ben also launched the Unpopular People website and podcast with his wife, Elisa, a venture that is building a global network of interconnected people within a virtual community that's looking to reshape the world through the sharing of their experiences and ideas. Ben, welcome to Tomorrow Is Mine. Nice to meet you Thank virtually you. because you're in Canada. Yeah. I'm here on the Gold Coast. You've That's only right, recently yeah. gone to North America because when did you leave the Gold Coast? You only left recently, didn't you? Oh yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a longer story, <laughs> so I have to I have to start uh, from the beginning. I tried to keep it as short as possible, but um, the Gold Coast has been like a second home for me for many many years. The first time I came to the Gold Coast was in 1990, and because my family, I have like family um, over there, like a aunt and uncle and uh, cousins. And um, yeah, and then I um, came back in 95 with my family, of course, because I was a child. And then I came back in 2001 and then I studied, I went to school um, at, the, at the Gold Coast at Benoa High School, actually. So that was in 2001, yeah? 2001, you're, yeah, that's So right, you're yeah. an exchange student, were you? Yeah, um, it was because I lived with my family. Um, there was no exchange. It was just like I came to Australia. My parents asked me, do you want to go to Australia? And I said, yeah, 100% because I love it over there. <laughs> so, so, and um, so they, um, yeah, back then, I mean, there was not much going on with internet and stuff. So like there was a lot of papers and things to fill out. It was already quite a process to actually come over to Australia. You've traveled a lot in your later years, but was Australia one of the first international destinations you went to? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My uncle that lived in Australia since he was 21, I think he came over in 1954. Yeah, and, and he was one of my role models because he like traveled around the world and he met uh, his wife in Australia and he got married over there and we visited him when we were children and like me and my family and my siblings and it was it was just always like such a mesmerizing time and I enjoyed it so much so I wanted always wanted to come back to Australia and have yeah. done many times since then. <laughs> many yeah. times yeah, yeah well, like we'll 20, we'll, 20 we'll, times by now I think <laughs> oh, okay yeah I see why you say it's your second home so let's go back to your original home which is Heidelberg which is a really beautiful part of Germany Probably the, the most beautiful city I visited in Germany, I think. A university town, as I recall, just lovely. Yeah, yeah tell me about it. Yeah, growing up there. So, 
Yeah, growing up in Heidelberg is actually really nice because, as you said yourself, it's one of, uh, me personally, I still think it's one of the prettiest cities in the world. The only thing it's missing is an ocean. So <laughs> <laughs> It's all right, you've got so, that here in your second home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In Heidelberg, it was very nice growing up. And then I started working at BSF, which is the biggest chemical company in the world, or one of the biggest chemical companies in the world. And um, I worked for them actually for 10 years. And that was the only 10 years in my life where I didn't go to Australia. Only in, in, like when it came closer to the end working for this company, I think in 2011 was the first time after my school time in 2001 in Australia, I came back to Australia for a holiday. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that 10 years, was that a difficult time for you? Because you've traveled the world now. You're very much a, I don't know if you, you see yourself as a spiritual being or a, or a journeyman or how you would describe yourself now, but it sounds very different to the life you led working for this chemical company for 10 years in Germany. Yeah, exactly. Especially I was a financial controller um, in the end, like for, for another four years of this 10 years in total. And um, I also studied economics next to working. So it was a very busy life and it was very well paid and I learned a lot and everything, but um, it wasn't a life I, I was choosing for myself, especially being to Australia first and then going back and living there for 10 years. Yeah, as you said before, it was quite hard. So yeah, there was also for me the main reasons why I said, I want to, you know, like leave my, this life I have here in Germany or I had there in Germany. I want to leave it behind and, you know, start traveling and see some other things. And I also wanted to come back to Australia as a, on a working holiday um, visa. Um, and I was just about to turn 30 or 31. And then I thought, oh, I better get it now before it's too late. <laughs> get, in, get the work <laughs> visa just in time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was back in 2014. I got rid of my apartment. And um, yeah, the only time was um, when I had an apartment again since then, like during COVID, like 2000. 20 um, until 2022 when you couldn't yeah. travel effectively so you were just exactly. you, you were just living on the gold coast yeah exactly and, and studying here then too i yeah. curious about that first year that you came here or to live here with your uncle and aunt and you're at benoa high school i think for, for the 12 high school, months yeah, yeah. and at a, mm -hmm. as a 15 year old what kind of impression did that leave on you and how did that change your outlook on the world because Australian culture vastly different from from German <laughs> culture. So how did yeah. how did that impact on you? It was interesting on on many sides because first of all, um, it was very good for me to learn English, and I was uh, way ahead like every other student back in Germany. But I also like the the lifestyle, as you mentioned already. Um, it's it's just so different, and I think it's it's so important for many young people in general um, to understand how other people other cultures live and especially with the indigenous community um, or the, the indigenous um, culture in, in Australia I think it's even more interesting because this is something like um, westerners don't really comprehend and um, yeah so I, I really liked um, I really like going over there and ex exploring this and especially as a teenager of course it can be sometimes difficult because you fall in love all the time and <laughs> like, all those things happen to you but um, oh, did yeah, you, you fell in love with an Aussie girl or Oh, yeah. I mean, as a 15-year-old, you fall in love once a day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no wonder you enjoyed it so much. It's interesting that you bring up Indigenous culture, of course, Australian Aborigines. It's the oldest civilization, the oldest culture on the planet. It's interesting. I remember going to Europe for the first time and being amazed by the age of Western culture there. Like there's a, a church in Cologne that took 700 years to build. You know, yeah. it, just, it blows you away. But 
that's only in terms of like modern civilization. When you talk about like ancient culture, there is nothing quite yeah. like what Australian Indigenous people have. So how did you tap into that? Did you get any experience to connect with that while you were here when you were a 15-year-old or did that happen later? As a yeah, as a fifteen-year-old, I didn't really understand a lot about it. I mean, you see it, and you um, you see like the the paintings and like the language, um, and um, and also um, like I mean, just the people, like how they look and um, and everything. And uh, so that was interesting. But as a fifteen-year-old, I didn't really understand it. I have to say, only when I came back um, in this time during COVID, when I studied in Australia at the Gold Coast, I first did a um, certificate in fitness and then afterwards I did a diploma in mental health and during this diploma in mental health um, we were connected to um, oh, sorry I forgot his name but he's one of the indigenous ambassadors of TAFE um, really really nice teacher and very nice person and um, and they were like during this diploma of mental health um, I learned so much about the culture and they because we were um, uh, it was possible for us to speak to the people to um, exchange information with them and it, it was just I think very interesting especially as westerners with our belief system that we build up throughout our lives and then we finally have the chance to speak to someone where the belief systems are completely different but you also see how similar we are in the end and yeah i find it really nice and that really opened my eyes and ears even more to you know understand other cultures and other people you talked about how the more you get to know other cultures you realize how similar we are we are at our core we're all human but you had travelled the world extensively before you came to study that Diploma of Mental Health at TAFE on the Gold Coast. Yeah. So you must have had a, a very broad understanding and acceptance of cultural and religious and political differences by then because you would have seen quite a lot of the world at that stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think by now I'm probably counting around 50 countries. And um, yeah, I've been to South America and I saw it like how it's what's going on over there and I've been to Asia so like I know how things are over there. I mean, it's always difficult because when you when you travel, um, you sometimes don't really understand how things work. But that's why I always try to live with uh, locals. I try to avoid like fancy hotels and stuff because I can't afford them anyways. But um, also, yeah, <laughs> who can? Also, just yeah. <laughs> Especially if you travel for such a long time, you really have to like find a way um, how to use your savings wisely. And um, yeah, but um, as but I isn't said, that a better way to see a country? Because like if you're staying in a five star hotel, it's such a disconnect. Yeah. You're not really embedded in that local community or the culture, really, are you? It's far yeah. better to do it on a budget and kind of assimilate as much as you can into that local environment. 100%, 100% agree. I think it was one of the best times when I stayed with a family in Colombia on a, on a farm and you just, you know, you help help out uh, wherever you can and even if you don't understand, well, if you don't speak Spanish too good, but I mean, I tried to study a little bit before I got there and, you know, like helping helping out wherever I can and then you can live with them for food and shelter. I did the same thing in the Daintree Rainforest actually. So like it's, it's interesting to see like the different contrasts and like how people live and what's what's important for them and yeah like I, I find it fascinating i still find it fascinating to be honest. <laughs> i find it you fascinating because i understand that you weren't particularly strong academically at school and that you, if anything you probably didn't have an inclination towards education and yet it seems to be something that have kicked in much later in life not only the value of, of formal education but just educating yourself through experience so how do you account for that transformation? 
I think it's more like the um, because I, I know the other life. I know how it is to work in an office and um, like live nine to five um, and always, you know, like waiting for the weekend to start and, you know, like to then do extra hours that are not paid and work from home and do like all those things before COVID working from home <laughs> was, was something that was more like for people that thought they had to finish something because otherwise they get fired, which is sorry. BS. <laughs> yeah, and too many people unfortunately live like that. So your life yeah. was like that when you were working for BSF? Yeah, it was. It was um, as I said again, like the people around me always looked at uh, this life as um, something that's very valuable. And um, I, of course, enjoyed the benefits from, you know, like the financial uh, benefits I got from working for this company for that long. But on the other side, I also thought like, what, what does money give me if I don't feel content, if I don't feel... I don't want to use the word happy all the time because I think happy is very <laughs> temporary, but maybe content, you know, I, I want to feel, you know, like free and do whatever I want um, in some way. I'm still trying to integrate in, in our society and I, this this job or this life just didn't give it to me. I totally understand why people do it and I totally understand that um, everyone has different responsibilities in their life. So I would never judge on anyone on living this life. It was just not the right one for me. So... Like, yeah, that's why I decided to let everything go and move on. What about your family? When you started on this adventure, you were nearly 30 years old. You'd worked in this company for 10 years. Uh, I know your parents had done a lot of work in helping you get through university, getting your education, and you'd got this job, this well-paid job. You had everything. You had the apartment. You had the life, yep. the money, everything. And then you gave it all away to travel the world. How did they respond? Because, again, a lot of people, yeah. it's not even just... The idea that they that they feel like they need to work. It's also family expectations and cultural expectations that weigh on people and the decisions they make. Yeah, but sometimes uh, we're just too afraid of, of communicating uh, with our closest ones. And um, I think this needs to happen in, in every family as well, because... I mean, it's, I can only speak for like my family. I'm, I was very lucky to be, I've been growing like that. I grew up in a in a family with a lot of love, and um, I like my siblings and my uh, my parents. They're like the greatest people on the planet, and they still support me whenever I need them. You know, and this is this is what I think I'm really lucky um, with. But um, when I when I decided that I want to leave everything behind and. I had a girlfriend as well and like an apartment. And as you said it before, like all those things, I had to let everything go and, and move on. And um, yeah, like the, the reactions of my parents was interesting. Like my dad said, he told me like when he was 27, he changed everything in his life as well. So he understands my decision. And he said, as long as you have an, uh, health insurance, it's fine. <laughs> and um, my, my mom... Good advice, dad. <laughs> yeah. And my mom reacted. He's more the rational part. <laughs> and... Um, and my mom reacted in a very, like, even a cuter way. And she said, said to me, um, when I told her, like, hey, uh, I made the decision to, you know, leave everything behind and, uh, and go for traveling and see what's going to happen. And she looked at me and she said, that's what I always wanted to do. Oh, so yeah. do you think and they kind of envy you a little bit, maybe? Or just, or just happy for you, I suppose? But Yeah, they're, they're happy for me. Um, and they, I think they are also very proud. I have with them very open conversations about everything in my life. And um, sometimes I think for parents, um, it's hard to hear some of the stories. But on the other side, um, they are, um, as long as they see that I'm happy, like, then they are happy too, I guess. So, yeah. You're yeah, very lucky. How important is it to have that support, knowing that your parents do back you while you're traveling the world because at times even though you've said like the Gold Coast is like your second home you're moving around so much you're not putting roots down anywhere 
how important is it to have that knowledge that you you have the support of your family? It is very important, and I, I highly respect the people that are um, that don't have this um, support from from back home. Um, so, like, yeah, this is this is something like um, that's why I also decided to study, you know, mental health and do like those things because I thought I was so lucky and um, I, I had those opportunities. And I know some people they just can't do it um, because they're like they have trauma or things in their life that stop them from achieving or traveling or like doing whatever in their life. So I, I'm, yeah, I just thought like I I have to like somehow pass this on to others because otherwise I, I don't see really a point of like you know if you're so lucky in life like why not share with others you know yes. why not uh, give it to someone someone else who probably wasn't that lucky so yeah that's was my personal sure <laughs> intention you know you speak of luck you know timing is everything you are lucky to live in an era where we have digital nomads that are roaming the world now a lot of millennials gen z's gen x's mm. even traveling the world with a laptop, which is basically their workstation, if you like, and can work from Bali or Goa or Canada, wherever they are in the world, doesn't matter. Do you feel like you've tapped into that community? Do you bump into a lot of the same people in, in strange places? Or is it, do you feel like a kind of nomad where you're just kind of doing your own thing and you're not really on, you don't feel a greater connection in the, what's happening in the wider world? Yeah, I, I, I totally tap into all those worlds um, because of after traveling for um, eight years with this COVID break, <laughs> I call it, I've met so many people uh, in different environments. Like some people are working in the same place. They live in the same place for their whole life and they're really happy where they are and they don't want to go away. Um, and other people that are traveling uh, like myself, um, like I met digital nomads, I met expats, like all, all sorts of people. And um, yeah, with, with some I can connect really well, with some I can't. It's, I think that's normal in life with, um, with everyone. And um, yeah, I sometimes find that digital nomads are, um, especially before COVID, uh, we, I had a few conversations with some of them, actually on Bali. <laughs> and I talked to them and I've, I found myself thinking, how did I want to sustain this lifestyle if something happens to the world or if something happens around them that they can't control? And um, if, like I think two months later, I was right because then when COVID started and, and I, I heard from many people, they had to go back home because they couldn't, you know, like afford it anymore and like they couldn't go anywhere anymore. And um, like things have changed, you know, it's also in, on Bali when the tourists um, went away, it was a different time for many. So many people left Bali and they had to go to other places. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's, I think it's, you always have to find like a, a balance, but I also think it's like a, it's like a diet, you know, when you, when you do a diet, you should do something that's not temporary. Like if you want to improve your lifestyle or if you want to improve your health, then you do something that's sustainable. That's right. my personal opinion. So in your travels, you don't tend to kind of just go somewhere for a week or a couple of weeks. You tend to t try and stay for a reasonable amount of time to, I guess, contribute somewhat to, is that what you're saying? To the local environment, to, to the local culture to tap into that? Or am I misreading that? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's easier and cheaper um, to understand another culture or another country if you stay there for a little bit longer. Um, I know that's difficult in like a normal person's life because you usually have a job and you have a certain amount of weeks of holiday every year. Um, so I know that's, that's not um, very common, but 
I still think it's it's good to stay a little bit longer because, as I said before, it's cheaper. Like after some time, you know how like oh, which bus you have to take, you so you don't have to take a taxi anymore. After some time, you know where like cheaper food is to find. After some time, you know people that tell you like oh, why don't you go there? You can get this for free, and you can get this over there. And so it's I think it's a bit easier to um, you know like um, live your life in a in a, f a foreign place so um yeah. yeah do you tend to prefer developing countries like i get a feeling that that seems to be a preference but i could be wrong um yeah no I, i'm like all over the place i would say <laughs> <laughs> yes because like like now for example we were we came to um, mexico in um end of july beginning of august um and because my best friend from back in germany he got married to a mexican girl and i said like i definitely have to come to this wedding i mean this is like once in a lifetime i i thought and um so i, I went over there and i actually had a um, because i play music i produce music as well and um then i, I connected to some people in mexico and i had a gig as well um two gigs actually to be exact um and um yeah so we came over for this for the for the wedding then we stayed in mexico for for a little while when i say we i'm talking about me and my wife and um then we um went to miami florida but just for a few days because miami florida is very expensive but my cousin lives there so we stayed with him for five days i got to um, meet my how do you call it niece like his daughter and um yeah so um yeah, I stayed with, we stayed with him and then afterwards we went to Canada. So I don't know, I can't really say that I pick countries for certain reasons. It's usually comes up because you, there's something happening or like there's someone I want to meet or I have an invitation to a place. And then, yeah, I try to go along as, as, as good as I can, you know. And I bet you don't have to be asked twice. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, people are usually surprised when they say like, "Oh, yeah, you should come around." I'm like, "Yeah, cool, I will do it." Like, I've, yeah. I have an six hours later, Panama. you're on their doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I met I met a friend that I actually met in 2013. I met him in in San Francisco, and um, I met him again just now in in Mexico for a few days. And and he told me like, "Oh, you should come to Panama and check out my place." And oh, also you yeah, come to Colombia and check out my place over there. And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, <laughs> why not?" <laughs> just add it to the list. Yeah. You mentioned your wife, Elisa. Did you meet her traveling? She She's German too, right? Yeah, um, I met her. <laughs> okay, that's an, also a funny story. So we, we met at the airport, actually. Which one? And it, <laughs> it was uh, in Germany. Um, it was the Frankfurt airport. And I was just visiting for my brother's wedding. And I was on my way back to Christchurch. That was in 2018. And I lived in Christchurch during this time. And then, um, uh, yeah, like in the security line, there was she was standing behind me. But... I mean, if you prepare for like a 25, 30 hour flight, you, you're not really like dressed properly and everything. So I thought like, oh, I don't really want to talk to her. And I'm not really like the type of person that like, you know, picks up girls at, uh, you know, In like at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and then, and then we, I didn't say anything, but they told us to come through the, you know, the security check, like the metal detector and stuff. And, and then we walked through there and they already thought we, we are together, like, because they called both of us at the same time. And, um, funny because they thought, um, we're together and they checked both of us for explosives. So we had to go to this other room and we had to open our bags. And then we were standing there waiting for the results, you know, like this little thing they put on like our clothes and all everything and they put it in a machine and the machine tells you if there are like any, you know like little parts of explosive or anything <laughs> and we were waiting there and we were both not really nervous because we you know we didn't try to do anything so we just um yeah started talking and she was wearing a jumper saying good things will happen and i looked at her and i said 
you think so? <laughs> 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 yeah, and that's, that's opened the conversation. And then we found out our gates are next to each other. She was actually going to Thailand. She wasn't going to this, like the same flight. But um, yeah, like last minute we exchanged uh, contacts and then started writing longer and longer letters or messages to each other. And, and then we decided um, two months later, I wanted to surprise my dad for his 17th birthday back in Germany. Uh, no one knew like of my family, of course, because it's a surprise. Uh, um, but um, I could tell her because she didn't know anyone there. And um, yeah, so two months later, she came back from Thailand and I came to visit my family again. And um, then we met. And since then, yeah, we were together. Like we were apart for another six months before she could come to Christchurch. And then we left Christchurch behind together. Like she just stayed with me and uh, we went back to Australia for a little while and then back to Germany and then 2020 back to Australia. Wow. Brought together by airport security. Did you invite yeah. them to your wedding? <laughs> yeah. How romantic. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Which part of Germany is Elisa from? So she's originally from like more the center of Germany, but um, actually during this time when we met at the airport, she was living in my hometown. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, wow. how is this even possible? You know, so, serendipity. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, so many coincidences. And I thought like, oh, okay, let's, let's just give it a try. Be. I mean, yeah, yeah. you, you, you never know. Like, it, could it end up uh, like worse? But it's actually like the best thing in my life. And had Elisa been living a similar life to you, like traveling the world? No, not at all. She was actually just giving up her job and wanted to start what I did before. And um, and then we like, she just like, that was her first trip. And then we met and um, I mean, now we're doing it together, which is even better for both of us. So yeah. much easier traveling together? It depends. I mean, this is always like um, when you're alone, you can decide when you want to eat, when you want to sleep, when you want to go, when you want to stay. You can make all those decisions. And um, of course, when there's another person, you try to find like compromises and stuff. Um, luckily, this works really well with the two of us. That's another reason why we're together because all things just work very easy. Yeah, so I think it really depends if, you, if you're just fighting all the time and if you're, you know, like have the silliest arguments about like strange things and it doesn't work properly. I think you have to be at least from the, the main ideas have to be on a similar level. Otherwise, I don't think like it works to travel together. Yeah, they say if you can't travel together, then you really don't have much hope of being a couple. It really is the ultimate test, isn't it? You've traveled to so many places, Ben. What is the most amazing experience you've had in your travels? I'm sure there are so, so many, but if you had to nominate one, maybe it was just a life-changing moment or totally unpredictable situation, whatever it might have been, what would it be? Mm. So like the first thing that comes in my mind is the fjordlands in New Zealand or the Milford Sound. 2016, when I went over there, was absolutely mind-blowing. And I, I really um, thought of my personal own personal problems as like, yeah, not really existing anymore. If you see like how massive and how, how big everything around you seems to be suddenly from one hour to the next. And yeah, that was, that was fascinating. But I really have to say, like, I get asked this question many times, as you can imagine. And um, I think it's really hard to tell because every day brings something new, exciting. And of course, yeah, they are like bad days and good days. But I mean, I had so many cool experiences on the Gold Coast and with my family and, and my friends over there. And I had so many cool experiences in South America, but also in Germany. I love Germany. Like, it's not that I, uh, I don't want to go there anymore. It's 
it's just um yeah i think the world is such a big place and i just fell in love with the world um not with just one particular country sometimes like the worst experience can be like a funny story in the end you know and <laughs> maybe um, not at the time but yeah yeah and, and, and sometimes and, the best experience you know, can turn out to something else as well so yeah when you're traveling so much particularly in developing countries you can put yourself in potentially risky situations have you ever been in a situation where you thought i might not get out of this alive or were you were really concerned I was, again, very, very lucky. Um, in South America, I think, were some risky situations. But I, I also have to say I'm, I'm, very, I'm very careful with things. I try to, um, you know, okay, let me, let me explain it like this. If you go to a country, there are some simple rules you have to follow. And if you follow those simple rules, like your risk of something happening to you goes down dramatically. So, for example, in, in Australia, people say like, oh, don't go to Australia. There are lots of snakes and spiders and they <laughs> kill you. And, you know, they tell you all those, all those things and then, and then you... you become afraid of going there but um, if you follow the simple rule like don't stick your hand or like your bare foot somewhere where you can't see okay this yeah. is like a very simple rule yeah. and if you go like somewhere in the dangerous rainforest and there's a lake and you can't see the bottom and you don't know what's underneath like don't go for a swim <laughs> so it's that easy <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so there, there are some sim simple things and i think in south america it's the same so if you're you can have a good time and you can have a few drinks and, you know, do whatever you like. But, like, just take a taxi home. Just don't walk home on your own, like, in a park in the middle of the night on your own, completely drunk. You know, just don't do those things. You know, like, just get a cab that brings you back to the place where you, where you stay and you minimize the risk drastically. So, yeah, that's what I can say in general. So, I was lucky nothing happened to me because I might just follow those rules as much as I can and, yeah. Particularly in a place like South America, like a country like Brazil, for instance, even getting in a cab or any car can be dangerous where there's carjackings. And particularly if you're yeah. seen as a wealthy Western tourist, you might not dress like one, but you're clearly a Westerner. It's not always that easy. But it's also like if you, for example, if you go traveling and you stay in a hostel, like make friends with people that speak the language perfectly. Uh, make friends with someone that doesn't look like a gringo if you're in South America. <laughs> you know, make, make friends with people that seem to be aware of the same things that you are aware, you know, so you don't have someone, you know, like the way it's just like group behavior. So like people just follow along like what someone says to them. So like, you know, like make your own decisions. And I think it's like those stories you hear mainly happen to mainly, I'm not saying it can't happen to you. Of course, you have to be careful, but mainly happen to people that are, you know, they're just not careful enough with certain yeah. things. And, Naive or inexperienced yeah. travelers, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. In your travels, you've done all sorts of things. Do you see yourself as having any kind of profession? I know you've worked on farms, you've talked about music, you're a musician, you've done all sorts of things. Obviously, you've worked in a chemical company for 10 years yeah. in a managerial role. You've studied mental health here on the Gold Coast. I think you might have done um, a personal trainer. Did you become a personal trainer here too? Yeah, a personal trainer as well. Yeah. Was that at TAFE as well? Uh, yeah, there was a TAFE as well. So you did? Uh, both a TAFE. Yeah. Right. So you studied to be a personal trainer and also mental health while you were here during COVID at TAFE on the Gold Coast. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, this, this is um, with the profession. Um, I get asked this question as well many, many times. Um, what do you so do for a living? I travel the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, you have to say like I worked for 10 years and um, I never owned a car in my life. So I, um, I always like the money that other people probably spend for a car. I always put uh, to the side um, and I was always saving money. Also in the past, you know, when I earned money, like I always take something out, put it to the side and just leave it there, you know. So 
Yeah, that's what I did in the past. And like, as I said, I was a financial a senior associate in cost reporting. So like quite a good position, good money and everything. Yeah. And afterwards, like when I did my working holiday in Australia, I worked in, in service because I wanted to find out how, how this is like, you know, how it, how it feels like to be, you know, behind the curtain. And I also like what I've been doing for most of my life is actually music. So I, I produce music, I play music in different places and um, I, I sell my music online. But selling music that brings you like, I don't know, like, I think I earned like maybe 20 cents last month or something. <laughs> with it. oh, it's hard. Yeah, so like, even, even for yeah. established artists that with global followings, it's difficult. Touring is about the only way you can make money out of music these days. Exactly. But this is also like you have to be careful, for example, in Australia, um, if, I, if I'm not on the right visa I, I can't play my music because you know you have to be careful with your like, work work rights and stuff so I, I i had like um one gig in australia in melbourne once um but that's about it that's that's all i ever i've ever done in australia and other places like yeah i mean it's it usually helps because sometimes because i know the people that organize the events and festivals in, in different places in new zealand or australia or in in brazil or whatever mexico and and then um you get a food and accommodation and it all already saves you some money so you just have to have like maybe some travel costs and some other things and so, yeah, yeah, so we'll, yeah, can, we'll play for food yeah. if, if the situation presents itself. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is like in, in Australia, when I did my personal trainer, like especially afterwards, um, I uh, worked um, as a personal trainer as well. I worked for the Southport Sharks um, in the gym. They have a really nice gym downstairs. Oh, yeah, it's a great um, gym there. Yeah, huge. Yeah. yeah. But also I like when I started my diploma in mental health, I... I started working for um, a platform called Mabel. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, um, you know, like a platform where you can put up a profile and then you can work with people with mental health uh, issues or um, uh, people with disabilities. Um, and um, yeah, that was actually really cool. Like I had like a few clients on there and you go to a residential environment and you work with them and I can use music, I can use uh, exercise as a treatment option. Um, so I can do those things with uh, with the clients. So I did those things with my clients back at the Gold Coast. Yeah, that was really cool. And I found some really nice people. I've, I've had like five main clients that I spent the whole week with. And um, they became friends and they're awesome people. And I miss them a lot, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's very interesting. And I hadn't thought of this until you mentioned it there. But I, I can see that also bringing all of that vast cultural experience into it as well would serve you when you're working with people directly like that. I'm just curious as to why you pursued studying mental health at TAFE and to be a personal trainer. Did you see a marriage of the two disciplines in how you could help people? Is there a, a strong crossover there between them? Yeah, I think the biggest mystery in our universe is, um, is in our head, right? I mean, the, the brain is something so complex and it's so difficult to understand. And like the last eight years of traveling and um, also before I started reading more and more into, into this topic, I actually wanted to study psychology when I was young, but I, I didn't do it. And then I did economics because I thought it's the right decision that fits good to my job I had as a financial controller. But now, like, I actually want to go into neuroscience. Um, I want to, like, start a new study, completely new study, do my bachelor, my master, and hopefully my PhD in um, cognitive neuroscience. And I thought, yeah, why not, like, what's the best way to start with? And um, it's to understand people, and that's why I wanted to work in this field. And it also, um, with this diploma in mental health, I can work, for example, in New Zealand, where we are based now. I'm, I have to tell a little bit more why we are in New Zealand in a little bit. But um, yeah, um, so I can use those, make my certificate in um, personal training 
and my diploma in mental health, I can use it in other Commonwealth countries as well, or English speaking countries. Even in Germany, I could use it, but not as a mental health worker, more like for, as a personal trainer. And I can, I can study and I can afford my studies by working in, in, um, in the industry, uh, working in a similar field. And yeah, that's like a, that was a, one of the reasons why I actually started this, if this answers the question. <laughs> yeah, sure. So the clients you're working with on the Gold Coast, once you gain those qualifications, you were devising programs that were not only based on their mental health, but also the importance of physical health in terms of uh, maintaining your mental health. Exactly. So the thing is, with um, if you work in disability, it usually comes with mental health as well. Like, I mean, many people, they're, they're lonely um, or like they have depression because of their disabilities um, or like they have anxieties because sometimes like the disability come from, you know, like um, PTSD because they or they did something to themselves. And, you know, like if someone tried suicide or something like this and then, you know, they... <laughs> They're disabled for the rest of their life and um, they stick, their mental health issue comes along with it. So, you know, you, um, for me, it was, um, it was very eye-opening also working with different people. But I also realized, for example, I had a, a client, I call him a friend now because I'm not working with him anymore, unfortunately. But um, his name was also Ben and, he, um, and I, I worked with him and he's, he's a cool dude and he um, has ADHD and um, I did training with him and um, it, it, I hope it helped him, you know, like to, to focus because I mean, what sometimes people say if they're self-diagnosed, like, oh, I have a little bit of ADHD. It's different to someone who's really struggling with ADHD, right? And we did exercise together. During this exercise, we could have like cool conversations with each other. We learned from each other so much. And yeah, those things actually help people as well. You know, with another client um, at the Gold Coast, I was, um, came to his apartment and sometimes we just listened to music together. And he told me stories from when he was young because he was uh, 76 or he's 76. And yeah, this is like, I don't know, it's interesting to yeah, have those different experiences and to also implement the knowledge and the experience I have from my travels, but also from my music also from my old life as a financial controller the rational part you know um, but also yeah those things and to implement them all in, into this new profession wow what an amazing journey you're on very interesting part of that journey is like me you've also started a podcast which i'm very curious about the title is interesting enough in itself unpopular people when you first told me about the title i thought Oh, is he interviewing, what, politicians, real estate agents, <laughs> used car salesmen? <laughs> like, yeah. But no, it's not about that at all. In fact, it's not dissimilar to what we're doing with Tomorrow Is Mine in that yeah. you're really profiling stories about people who otherwise wouldn't necessarily have a public profile. Is that right? Yeah, and um, that was the intention because... Um, uh, as I said before, with the people I met on my way and on traveling the world, I sometimes thought to myself, how is it possible that like someone um, like on the street uh, plays like very nice music and why doesn't this person fill the stadiums and some other sorry idiot um, fills the stadiums with like this <laughs> crappy with music no you nowadays <laughs> and I, I, the I world like, is unjust it's unfair ben come on haven't you figured that <laughs> <Yes>. out yet <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't think so because those people um even if they didn't even they didn't uh, or they don't fill fill the stadiums but they're really happy with with what they're doing and they're really like content in the, the situation where they are in especially me coming out of this environment where you like work hard and you achieve your goals you know this type of behavior and you become so unhappy with everything 
that today I thought like, oh, like how is this possible that they, they have like a very simple life? Um, and uh, I mean, more or less sometimes, but have a very simple life and they're so happy with everything. And I also, I also thought about the name for a long time because I didn't want to call them unknown people because sometimes they're, they're known, you know, like, I mean, mm. people know them, they're, they're in their community or in, in, in their environment, like the, the city they live, like everyone knows them there, but well, it's especially just Especially like in today's worldwide. world, you've just got to have a social media profile. You're basically known beyond the old traditional networks, aren't you? Exactly. And this is something I also looked for when, when I um, was looking for those people because they don't represent themselves or show off in, on social media and they still do their thing and they're so cool with their, like what they're doing. And, and I also use the term unpopular or the word unpopular because... You can be unpopular at school. So, for example, you're a goth, not a cheerleader, but you can still, you know, achieve great things in this world. And um, that's why I, I choose this name, because it's often um, like connected to something negative, but it's not necessarily something negative. You know, like if you're unpopular, you can still be, you know, changing the world. You to know be what honest, I mean? if so, you're a goth, you're probably a lot more interesting than a cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Just want to say everyone is interesting. You know, like both sides. I, I find the goth fascinating. I find the cheerleader fascinating. And I think like I shouldn't, I shouldn't just focus on the one that has like more followers on Instagram, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's true. Everyone does have a story. The trick is finding it. So where do you find these unpopular people, Ben? They seem to come um, from all over the world. These yeah. are just people you meet in your travels? Exactly. I had, like there were maybe like two or three that contacted me or us to be on the show, but uh, we usually reject them. We took two or three we took in, but if someone texts, writes us like, hey, can I be on there? Like we usually say no, because um, the thing is like if someone asks to be on the show, it's usually um, someone who has already like a story set in, in their mind. Um, they just want to present it, right? So it's it's not authentic. And we usually catch people by surprise so we say like hey man it would be so cool if i could interview you and it's like what interview me and it's like yeah we have a podcast you would you mind being on there and it's like oh phew, i've never done this before like is it yeah like what's it about and i said yeah it's about unpopular people and they usually laugh and then they say like yeah it's nothing nothing bad you know like i explained what i just explained <laughs> to you <laughs> and then and yeah and it usually turns out so like i never had anyone on there that i couldn't release because like i found found all of them like so fascinating it's also like mm -hmm. stepping back from you know like every one of us has like a little bit of a narcissist in, in ourselves you know like we always want to tell something about us and you know it's yourself like when you interview someone you ask questions you yes. only ask questions and then you listen to what they say and um, we found that slogan for our podcast we said um, listening and learning from each other is uh, key for personal development and success and um, yeah that just worked so well together so yeah, yeah, nice, you made really this nice. Yeah, I know, mm. of course, given what I do, I totally relate to that. And just a little secret between you and I, Ben, it's the best part of my job, but just don't tell <laughs> anyone else how good it is. <laughs> it's all right, only the listeners will hear. <laughs> That's right, yeah, both of them. Right, so, um, so how long has the podcast been running now? We started in, uh, we prepared everything in 2019 and then we uh, came to Australia. I started uh, the studies um, for uh, the personal trainer um, over there, like the uh, 
fitness uh, certificate four in fitness three and four in fitness and um, then COVID hit so um, like there was actually quite good for us because then we were at home and actually working on a website and we also my my wife she's a textile engineer and um, she designs clothes not designing like she actually creates clothes like the textiles like for example like we have things made out of uh, recycled plastic wow. um, that we sell through our website but she's she's at the moment she's moving on from this she's working on other projects like can tell you a little bit about this later yeah so um, we started 2019 officially with the podcast and with unpopular people since then i've tried to release like one or two episodes a month I would okay say. well done it's a big yeah. ask but i can see how again taking advantage of your circumstances of the situation so the podcast basically started while you were here on the gold coast exactly yeah. you, you've called the the website unpopular people as well unpopularpeople.com yeah. okay so what else is Alisa doing then you alluded to this so what else has she got in the pipeline yeah so it's it's actually really cool um, because like I mean I have to I have to okay tell you a bit of a backstory so after my diploma in mental health and I've been um, we've been both like my, my wife and I we've both both established and on the Gold Coast but um, she did her personal trainer as well over there because it's always good to have it so we can always like find jobs all around the world and um, when it came to the end of my visa, which was in, in March this year, I think, yeah, March this year, my, my student visa finished. I applied for uh, the, I think they call it COVID visa, but it's like a 408 visa, it's called. And I applied for this in December last year, but I never heard anything back from them, from the government, because they haven't processed it yet or whatever. But I was on a bridging visa, right? So I could still stay and work and, and do everything in, in Australia. And then my grandpa unfortunately passed away. So we went to Germany for the funeral and some, some things you have to do when someone in the close family passes away. And um, I applied for a permission to travel to go to Germany and then come back. Elisa, my wife, she's still or she was still on a student visa back in the days. And on the way back from Germany, to we just stayed for three weeks. Um, and I told everyone, like, hey, we come back and we have our apartment in Southport and everything. So on the way back in Singapore, they um, said, like, oh, to my wife, she's like, you can go to into the plane. But um, I wasn't allowed to enter the plane. And they said they didn't have a visa in, in the system. So I wasn't allowed to come back to Australia anymore. There was, well, was a bit like, whoa, what's happening now? Then I applied for a tourist visa because I thought like, oh, okay, if I apply for a tourist visa, I can come back to Australia and sort everything out, you know, like get back on a preaching visa or get back on another visa within a few days. And then I can keep on working and, and um, you know, like be there for, for my clients because they were also waiting for me to come back and everything. Course, and, yeah. and unfortunately, this didn't work out well because it was the wrong decision. I didn't know because you're at the airport. It was like f late at night and uh, that was the only thing I, I thought would be would be helpful. And but they said like, ah, if I if I come back on a tourist visa, but I'm uh, still like officially working, that's absolutely no go. And um, so yeah, they re declined my visa, rejected my visa, and since then uh, every attempt uh, to come back, even on a business visa, I also had a sponsor by then, like for another company, and even on a business still visa. Get in. Wow. I can't get back into Australia at the moment. It's very, wow, it's very sad. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. That's not good news. That's I why know. you've made New Zealand your base? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that was a long story, like the backstory I wanted to say about this. But um, the thing is, then we, I had to go back to Germany after some time because Singapore is expensive and uh, Elisa had to finish her studies back in Australia. 
And then we said like, okay, what shall we do from here? And um, because I lived in Christchurch already, we said like, let's let's go to Christchurch and like maybe we can sort things out from over there because it's in the same time zone. So you can make phone calls with lawyers and with, you know, with the government and everything in Australia to, because otherwise the time difference makes it very hard. So we went to we went to New Zealand after Elisa finished her studies and when I left Germany again. And then uh, in New Zealand, um, we tried, we paid many, many, many hundred thousands of uh, dollars to lawyers and to everything but they just happily took our money but yeah nothing nothing wow. happened really like you paid yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars to lawyers no 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 not hundreds hundreds and or oh, like hundreds and thousands, thousands. sorry I'm yeah. <laughs> wow you guys yeah, are sorry. rich <laughs> no no no, no. <laughs> I think if we paid a hundred thousand dollars I would be back in Australia right now. <laughs> these were lawyers in Australia to try and get you back yeah. in and you couldn't that is yeah, extraordinary yeah, exactly yeah yeah, they, they, it wasn't really working out well and um, they just wanted more and more money, but I didn't really see an outcome. Uh, so anyways, um, being in, back in Christchurch, we actually felt very welcomed and also we saw like new opportunities coming up, especially there's a university over there, which is um, very close to the um, agriculture. It's called Lincoln University in, in Christchurch. Um, it's in, in Lincoln, but it's like outside of Christchurch. And um, this university has like cool courses and Elisa is a textile engineer, so she um, she goes back to university and does she will do her masters over there, and um, I can come along with her because it's a, a, a qualification partner. level nine. So I can, as a partner, I can come with her on the on the visa in New Zealand, and then we probably touch base there and um, stay around because we have a big community and uh, Otautai, which is the name for Christchurch, um, is, is one of the coolest places I've been as well. I love the Gold Coast. I really miss it. And I would love to come back and see my auntie again. She's old and I really would love to see her again. So I hope that I can at least come back as a tourist at some point. Well, if you stay in New Zealand um, long enough, you'd be able to come back as a, as a Kiwi because we've got plenty of them here <laughs> on the Gold Coast. They all seem to want to live here. Yeah, but New Zealand is a beautiful country. It really is. It's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're both like Australia and New Zealand. Like I don't really understand why people sometimes fight about it. It's just they both have so many cool things. And I, I, I love both countries. It's it's very hard to say like which one is better because it's you can't tell, you know, it's no, it's, it's comparing apples and oranges. But, you know, why not enjoy both, which you clearly are. <laughs> Yeah. But those those new opportunities were like a blessing, like really, like since we um, since we got to New Zealand, um, everything worked out well. There was a was a bit of a time when I just realized, OK, um, Australia is not happening anymore in the near future. I was, of course, a bit sad. But I mean, that sometimes happens in life. And if you're with the back against the wall, you start to get more creative. And um, yeah, as I said, like now she's doing a master in a few a few months and I can go there and I can work as a personal trainer in mental health. And when she's done with her master's, I will start my studies in neuroscience. Where do you see the future taking you, Ben? I know that's hard when you want to get back to the Gold Coast, but you can't at this point in time. But yeah. is there a plan? Is there a grand master plan? Or, you know, you've built your website and you've got all these different things going on. You know, Elisa's doing her work in fashion and textiles you've got your music you've got the podcast you've got so much happening do you just see that growing this virtual community and just living anywhere or you don't know yet you haven't figured that out yeah i, I kind of have a grand plan i mean but again 
I mean, the cool thing is like what, what um, Elisa is doing at the moment. We talk to so many people about it and I can't give you too many details because of it's the new sort of like yarn she wants to develop in this university. And if this works out the way we think about it. now, we also met people in, in Cancun um, that, that have a production site in Colombia and they want to work together with us to develop like new textiles. And um, as most people hopefully know, the fashion industry is one of the biggest polluters in, the, right. in the whole world, you know? Yeah. So, um, we want to uh, work on something um, new um, that's um, like sustainable and environmental friendly. Um, and if this if this works out the way we plan it at the moment, this will be very cool. And I mean, we can do such things um, online or you can travel because you have to see different places anyways with this sort of job. I also think um, for the next few years, we probably stay in New Zealand because of the studies and the work we uh, we are both doing over there. And I also can play uh, my music in New Zealand because I was on the radio over there and I play on some of the bigger festivals there too. And as I said before, the community in Otata is the best community in the world. <laughs> They're lovely really helpful people. and they really are lovely people. people yeah. yeah, really cool. And um, yeah, so I think the next few years we probably stay um, over there. In, in New Zealand, um, and um, as soon as we um, we hopefully can go back to Australia, we we come back for a visit, or maybe as permanent residents of uh, New Zealand, we can come back uh, to Australia as well. But um, I don't think we will settle down. If this is your question, I don't think we will settle down in the near future. <laughs> so. No, I can't. I can't see that given the journey that you've you've undertaken so far. And speaking of which, Ben, I have to ask you: when you see where you are now at this point in your life. And the journey that you've taken and all those steps from someone who struggled academically at school, never really fit in, spent 10 years working at that chemical company in a job that he didn't really enjoy. And then suddenly everything that you've done since then and how you've embraced education and the idea of knowledge and the power of it to be able to create change and change for a better world. It's quite extraordinary when I think about it. Do you sometimes think, was that really who I was all those years ago? Does that seem like another lifetime, a different person almost? Is it surreal or how do you see your life now when you look back at it? Yeah, um, I do very regularly because this is, uh, I think, very important. And I can highly recommend this to other people to sometimes just you know, sit down and think about where they are. And COVID gave everyone a chance to do exactly this. So most people, they had the chance to sit down. Okay, there's nothing I have to do right now. What do I want to do, right? I look back and I, I think, I mean, that was that was probably the best decision I've ever done in my life. And <laughs> not probably, that was definitely the best decision I've done in my life. And uh, when I look back at the person I was back then, I always thought there's, um, you know, I w always thought that I wanted to be like different or I, I didn't really understand what's happening around me. I didn't really connect to like this this life I was living. And I, I thought like there's something wrong with me, you know, because they usually blame it on yourself like, oh, I'm wrong and I have to adapt and I have to fit in and, you know, like to do the things because this is normal. This is what ex is expected from you, you know, like you go along your job, you marry one day, get a house and a ki some kids and a dog that's running around in the garden and you're like all this stuff. And I thought, like, I don't really connect to this. I think, like, the world is such a big place. I want to see the world first. Like, maybe I do this one day, you know, like, there's nothing wrong with it. But I want to see, like, what's happening in the world first before I can say, like, okay, I want to stay here. And how do I know this place where I'm living right now is the best place in the world? Maybe there are better places, you know? Yeah, so I, I thought there's something wrong with me. And I always tried to fit in. I always tried to adapt until I thought, like, okay, if maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with, like the life I live right now and or maybe there's something wrong also with the people around me maybe there's it's not it maybe it's not my fault and this thought grew more and more and 
until I realized like, no, it's not my fault. I'm the way I am and I try to find a way. And as I said before, I'm so lucky um, that I have this support network around me and um, that I always try to, you know, like have friends and family, like well, like good friends and like not energy sucking people, like really f people that, you know, you can exchange with and you're on the same level. And this is gave me so much uh, strength that I said like, okay, let's do it. Let's just uh, give it a go and, and see what happens. And yeah, I mean, even like sometimes times are tough because there's no steady income and um, there's sometimes a, a bit difficult. But on the other side, I, I try to go to places and, and give it back to the people that don't dare but want to have this lifestyle and tell them like, hey, man, if you want this. I mean, I'm talking as a white male Westerner, you know, <laughs> living this lifestyle. It's easy. But I mean, other people that, that come from a different background or they have different struggles in their life. And I say like, hey, maybe I find a way that it works for you as well. So, and that gives me so much energy and, and happiness and hope for the, for the world to, you know, things to be going in the right direction somehow. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but. I think you've explained mm. it pretty well. <laughs> ben, you are a restless spirit, but there's still so much more to achieve. You may be far more content than you've ever been in your life, but I suspect that there is a lot more that you are yet to explore. What a wonderful position to be in. So thank you for your time. It's been great to catch up with you virtually. Maybe one of these days we'll let you back into the country and we can catch <laughs> up and have a have a beer on the Gold Coast down by the beach. That'd sure. be lovely. <laughs> yeah, that would be lovely. Burley had surf club or something like this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll book the table you book the ticket let's <laughs> <Cool>. go <laughs> all right ben fine economics graduate corporate manager musician podcaster mental health professional fitness advisor global journeyman and soon to take up studies in neuroscience i think ben should get a business card that just says guru <laughs> what an extraordinary life ben has had and he's still so young with so much more to come. And then there's Ben's wife, Elisa, a fellow traveller in more ways than one, about to embark on her venture to develop a new type of ecologically sustainable yarn. And of course, the online community they're building through their website, where you can find Ben's music, Elisa's fashion creations, and their podcast, unpopularpeople.com. All of it evolving like an organic process, rather than by design. And yet it seems to be feeding into a much bigger entity. Who knows how far they can go? It really is quite extraordinary. In the short term, I certainly hope that Ben and Elisa can get back to Australia again soon. Ben Fine is just one of many remarkable students who have chosen to study on the Gold Coast. If you'd like to explore some of the other amazing stories in this podcast series, you'll find them at www.studygoldcoast.org.au slash podcast. My name is Trevor Jackson, and I'll catch you next time for Tomorrow Is Mine.